Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Astrology Now podcast. My name is Christine Rodriguez, and in this segment, I am so excited to share my favorite tarot reader, Chris, with you all. Of course, his handle on Instagram is Tarot Exegete. If you are unsure how to spell that, please do look in the descriptions. I have all of his handles listed below. He has a Patreon account. He has an Instagram. He does a lot of things online. And so, as I mentioned, Chris is one of my favorite people to follow. He has an amazing Instagram account that is just full of insight into the art of tarot. And in every post, he dives deep into mysticism, magic, occultism, religion, spirituality, and even history. Sometimes when I go to his page, I get a little history lesson and I learn so much more about a certain symbol or sign that maybe I encounter all the time and had not previously known the roots of or you know or the origin of so his page is very informative i highly recommend following him he's also very very funny he also creates his own memes which usually uh leave me laughing and so all of that to say i was super impressed with chris's online presence when i found him and i booked a reading with him and was just totally blown away with his intuition, his ability to hold space, his ability to counsel throughout the reading. As I said, he's my tarot go-to. I have no idea how many times a month I go (laughs) knocking on Chris's DM door, but I highly recommend it if you are looking for a tarot reading. Very, very um, high quality. And so I was very excited when he agreed to come on the podcast, and today we spend some time talking about his technique and approach with tarot. So if you are a tarot reader, if you pull cards at home, even if you don't pull cards, maybe this segment will inspire you to get some and investigate because it's such an amazing art. And so again, he shares some of his techniques. We talk a little bit about his history, what got him interested in occultism and tarot. Of course, he's also a writer. And we go down his path a little bit. And then in my opinion, towards the middle or end of the podcast, we really get into some interesting philosophical discussion around how is it working? How does tarot even work? I know that if if you have any experience with card pulling at all, you know that there are those days where you pull the same card over and over and over. You have someone else pull for you. It's the same card. How is it happening? What is going on? Chris and I dive in and philosophize a bit. So I do hope you enjoy this magical, mystical podcast. I've been posting it on the day of the new moon in Mula. So I hope that it helps make your new moon a little bit more uh, mystical. And next week we will do a yearly wrap up preparing for 2023. So again, I hope you enjoy this podcast. This is Chris with Tarot Exegete Online. I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, welcome, Chris. I am so excited to have you on. I feel like I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a long time. The first time I asked you, I think was like a year ago. And so I'm so glad that I finally caught you and um, I can share you with the Astrology Now community. Well, I'm happy to be here. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, so it feels right to be on. (laughs) Thank you. And you really are my tarot go-to. And I think it's really important to let everyone listening understand that, that when I have a pressing question or if there's something that I'm really needing support and guidance on, 
you are the tarot reader that I go to. And I feel like that you provide so much more than just a reading. You also provide just like a lot of emotional support and counseling. And I think that you approach tarot in a way that is very holistic and hmm, it's just very soothing. Like, I feel like you have a very non-anxiety inducing approach to your tarot reading, which is why you're a favorite. So I just wanted to go ahead and give you that shout out. And if anyone is listening and needs to go look at Chris's Instagram right now, it is tarotxjeet on Instagram. And I do follow him so you can find him there. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Um, I don't know what an anxiety producing reading like <laughs> where you're comparing me against. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this could be a fun way to start off the podcast. Um, I think it's very similar with astrology, you know, sometimes with tarot readers or, or astrology readers, or even, um, people practicing palmistry, anything, um, in the spiritual or occult sciences, I think that there can be a lot of anxiety induced when things are spoken about as factual. And when they're spoken about in such a way where there are not options, um, as if it's just kind of a limited, perspective, if that makes sense. And every single time I get a reading from you, I feel like you are like, well, it could be like this. And I think that you could feel empowered if you act this way. You always kind of reframe it in a way for me to feel empowered and secure. <laughs> and I really appreciate that approach. Well, I actually just wrote a post on my Patreon about this. Oh, really? I have a Patreon and um, I think it was called you know, How to Deliver a Reading. Mm -hmm. I make the point that the way you deliver the reading is just as important as the way you interpret the cards. Mm -hmm. And what I said was, I guess my method for giving a reading is I'll, you know, begin by restating what the question is or restating what the context is. And then I'll name the cards or whatever shows up in the reading. And then I will give like the standard interpretation of those cards. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'll just put it out there like, oh, we have this card here. And that usually means something like this. And then rather than saying like, and here's how it is, or like, this is what's going to happen to you. I say, I put it in the form of a question usually. I say, so this could, this could mean this, or it could mean this. And I kind of leave it in the, in the person's hands to make up their mm -hmm. own minds. Mm -hmm. And um, by giving people options to kind of and phrasing it as a question, it gets the person thinking on their own terms, what it could mean. Yeah. And that, helps the idea with the message, wherever it is, come through and find purchase in their own minds mm -hmm. rather than me telling them how it is. Yeah. Because if I tell them how it, even if I'm right, let's say I get, I get the cards exactly right and they're predictive. But if I tell them this is how it is, there's always a resistance, I feel like, for the person. Because mm. people don't like to be told how it is. Yeah. Um, so even if it's right, they don't want to be told that. And also, even if it's right, they might not absorb the message very well if it's like you're forcing it on them. Um, but if you phrase it as a question and you kind of let them think about it themselves, they'll make up their own minds about it. And then it'll be much more fruitful and effective for them. Yeah. The message will bear more fruit for them that way, rather than if I just told them, this is how it is, here you go. Yeah. I kind of leave the door open for them to walk through themselves. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And I think that something that you're hitting on is this idea that when we're delivering readings, ultimately no one knows their life like the client does. And so you're leaving a lot of room for humility 
um, and for the client to come to their own understanding of what the cards could represent. And you are acting as a guide to help offer insight into the symbolism and the meaning, and then ultimately allowing them to come to their own conclusions. But again, I mean, like you are a fantastic, I mean, and I want to get into this with the interview as well, that you have a way of attuning yourself to energy that I think is very special. And with tarot reading specifically, I find that when we're pulling for ourselves, or when we're pulling for a friend that maybe we have a lot of investment in, our energy can kind of mingle with the cards and we may not get as accurate of a prediction. Again, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. And I think that it takes a special attunement to be able to pull from a place of clarity without having our own bias or projection put onto the cards. Right. So I also mentioned in this post I made that um, another good reason to go about it like this, the way I'm describing, is because you could be wrong. <laughs> There's always a chance you could be wrong. So if you're putting it out there as a form of question, you're covering your own bases in case you are off. And also, even if you are wrong or somewhat wrong by your interpretation, um, you can get the person thinking in this new way by asking these questions. That can still help them, even if the reading isn't 100% right. You know, even an inaccurate reading can still help the person because you're going to get them thinking about their situation in a new way. So that's another reason to do this. Um, and the other thing I think about a lot is with the cards, there's like two levels of the reading works. First of all, there's the cards that come out, like after you're done shuffling and you lay out the cards, there's the cards you get, right? And then the, after that's done, you have to interpret them. So there's like two ways the reading could go wrong. <laughs> you get the wrong cards mm. and, or you can get the right cards, but misread them. Mm. And I feel like more often, I don't want to say every time, but nine or eight times out of 10, the cards that come out are right. Very often we misinterpret them. Interesting. <laughs> and usually that's because they're hard to interpret. You know, the situation has a lot of factors. Um, there's a lot of unknown variables at play. And you're, you're looking at 78 picture cards, which are hard to read. So you're bound to miss some stuff, you know? And if you don't have a lot of experience with the cards, Again, it's very easy to not know what to look for or not know what they're saying in a certain mm -hmm. combination. Um, so it's very easy to get the right cards, but still pull out interpretation, which isn't quite right or is missing a lot, you know? Yeah. So you would say that the majority of the time when we're pulling, even for ourselves, nine out of 10 times, we're getting the right cards. We're just often misinterpreting them and not seeing the symbolism properly. Yeah, I mean, I, I say 9 out of 10, I don't know, but it seems like more often the cards are right, but that it's very easy to, for us to miss something or get something wrong about it entirely. And that's even more true when we're reading for ourselves. Right? Yeah, yeah. When you're reading for yourself, when it comes time to read what that, these cards mean, you are more likely to, you know, suppress in your own mind interpretations which are more negative and see what you want to see and pull out idiosyncratic meanings that are peculiar to you, but which are gonna be more, give you the answer you want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so when you're reading for yourself, it's very easy to get it wrong. And then when you're reading for somebody you know really well, your close friend, it's like the same thing. You're reading what you think is best for them a lot of the times. And that's why it's whenever you're doing a reading that has a high emotional impact for yourself or someone you know, 
it is better and easier and clearer to go to you know, a professional, somebody else who is a neutral third party who can pay to do this and they'll give you the unbiased reading, which mm-hmm. you know is often what you don't want to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as I think as long as it comes through clearly and you're ready for it, it's ultimately going to help you. You know, and that's what I try to do. Just, mm-hmm. I try to be clear. Okay. This is, here's your cards. Here's what you're asking. Here's what these cards mean. And then again, so, you know, I suggest like, could mean this, could mean this. Usually give the person one or two options. And as long as you explain clearly how you're getting these interpretations from the cards, so it's like, I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. I'm saying like, here's your cards. So based on how they're configured here, it looks like it could mean this, you know, so they can look at them themselves and see the connections I'm making, you know, mm-hmm. so I try to describe that in my readings. So they say I'm not, so they, so they can see I'm not pulling this out of nowhere, that it makes sense based on the cards that are showing up. Yeah. So listening to you talk also, it sounds like that you try to approach it from an objective standpoint in terms of this is what the card means you know, objectively, this is what the card means. And tarot reading is still such an intuitive art. And so for you, as you're doing your practice, how much balance, like how do you balance using your intuition versus the objective meaning of the cards? I think that you posted something about this on Patreon as well in terms of, um, oh man, what was it? You posted something on your Patreon about using your intuition or, oh, how to use aspects with the cards, how to read them together and how to allow them to tell a story, because that's a a much more nuanced and skilled approach than just simply reading out the meanings. So can you speak to that? Yeah. So this is one of the things I've talked about a lot on my Patreon is a card reading technique called aspecting cards. It's called different things. That's what I call it. Um, so the idea here is that when you have cards in a spread, a card next to another card can change the meaning of that card somewhat. So if you have like a somewhat neutral card, like the Queen of Pentacles, right? But she appears in the spread right next to the tower. You have to see the tower as influencing that card in some way. So we know with all the cards, they have a range of meanings, right? There's no like one meaning for each card. Um, each card has, you know, depending on how far you want to go, like dozens and dozens of possible meanings. And some of them are more favorable, some are more unfavorable, right? And sometimes that's divided up by saying, okay, this is the reverse meaning of the card. This is the upright meaning. Um, But when you have, when you're using these aspecting cards and you're reading cards side by side, you'll know which meaning to gravitate towards based on the surrounding cards. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. So if I see... So when I see the cards in the spread, you're trying to make, I don't want to say a narrative, but you're trying to make a story or at least a complete sentence or one complete, one single coherent message out of the cards you're getting. So when you're doing that, there's only, that kind of limits, that in itself limits the number of meanings each card can have. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So each card in isolation has dozens and dozens of possible meanings. But when it appears in the spread next to other cards, those possible meanings reduces a lot, right? Because suddenly it's limited by the other cards it's appearing with. Because in order to make, for the message to make sense, those cards have to fit together, right? 
-hmm. in order to fit together, you have to go with the meanings which make sense together, which narrows down the range of meanings for each card. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And if you have a card appearing like between two negative cards, like the tower and ten of swords or something, then it wouldn't make sense to take the most positive spin of that card. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because then you have a disjointed message, right? So right. So, in order, so you have like a spread where it's like the tower, queen of pentacles, ten of swords. In order to have a coherent, one coherent message from those three cards, you can't have it be like, oh, bad news, happy news, bad news. You know, it has to be like, you have to, you know, you have to gravitate towards the meaning of the queen of pentacles, which is a little more negative, which is already there. It's already part of the meaning of the card, but you know to go for, you know, you can narrow the range of what that card can mean. And you know to go for a more negative meaning it's if it's appearing in the spread of more negative cards because again they had to fit together in a way that makes sense as one message does that make sense mm-hmm. and it, it's complicated <laughs> and there is a lot of <laughs> there's no one set like method i can give you for how to do that because like you said it is a lot based on your intuition yeah the kind of feeling you have for these cards so yeah. all the cards they have these meanings but they also have um for lack of a better word like an energy you know like you kind of set, if you use them a lot, like I do, and you're very familiar with the deck, which you should be if you're going to be reading, you know, you, you know the deck really well. You kind of have a feeling for these cards, you know, and you can call that the energy that you're reading from the card. And knowing how to read the aspect in cards is about knowing how these energies fit together. And it is Absolutely. very intuitive. It's hard to lay down as one set method. It's Yeah. It's, yeah when you see it when i hope i explain it well it does make sense totally makes sense and i think that it's like developing a relationship with the cards and really understanding intimately the meaning of the cards and the more that you understand the it's like you can if you know two of your friends super super well you know how they're going to fit in a room together you know if you have two friends who have like very opposing political viewpoints you know that if you put them in a room together they may get along on x y and z but they may get kind of conflict in other ways and you can kind of begin to understand and i think that when we are looking at tarot and we understand the cards in that intimate way we can begin to um, understand how they're going to interact together and i do think it's very similar to astrology in understanding you know when we really intimately understand the energies of jupiter and venus we can better understand how they're operate together when they're conjoined or if they're in a square, you know? So I think that it is really similar in that way, but I, I kind of skipped over this in the beginning and I, I kind of want to touch on it now, but you of course are a tarot reader. You're an amazing writer, which is very clear in your Patreon. You're constantly writing a lot and offering that to your patrons. And you are also an ex priest in training. And so the first at least from what I understand about you, one of your first missions in life was to become a priest. And you, I, I suppose, decided not to do that. <laughs> not not no. super sure why. Would love to hear why if you want to talk about it. Um, but so yeah. Not, so- not an ex-priest, ex-seminarian. Okay. So seminarian is uh, somebody studying to be a priest. So I was in, okay. in seminary school, which is like, you know, a college for for priests. And I was about halfway through it before I wow. left. So it was on the track to being a priest. They would have ordained me if I hadn't stopped them. <laughs> what happened? Why did you decide to drop out of priest? Well, it, it wasn't also wasn't what I always wanted to do. Um, 
I've always wanted to be a writer and I've always written things. Wasn't into tarot or anything like that. Wasn't really spiritual at all. And then in 2014, I had this spiritual experience, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, these series of encounters or moments and I started going more and deeper and deeper into prayer. And that led me to think like, oh, maybe I should be a priest, you know, maybe that's what I'm being called to. And then I went and I talked to some people and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're definitely being called. You should, you should go to seminary. Well, you know, and I met up with my diocese. I was living in New Jersey at the time. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll pay for you to go to seminary. And it takes six years, but then, uh, you know, all goes well. And like, we'll ordain you a priest. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I went and at first I loved it. Um, it's a, it was like a whole like, you know, like monastic lifestyle, sort of, not really, sort of, you know, get up early, you know, pray, study all day, pray some more, <laughs> go to bed, you know, <laughs> like that every day. Um, and I was really into it and did really well in school, likes what I was studying, um, has some good friends there. Um, about like two years into it, things started to fall apart in terms of my faith, I guess. Um, Interesting. There were, you know, some things that happened in the news, some revelations that began to really, like, like I let it into my heart, you know, and it really impacted me and hurt me. Um, that was like, I think of that, I didn't know terror at the time, but when I, first time I ever saw the Nine of Swords, I was like, oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> that was me like two years ago. Yeah. Um, so things, I started to struggle more and more with the faith and what I was learning and what I was expected to teach others. And I was, began searching for other ways to think about it and to make it work for me, you know? And um, as I was going through that time of trying to hold it together, I was reading different books and I came across this one book called um, Masculine Archetypes in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I was exploring union archetypal themes, looking at scripture. Um, it was written by this priest in the eighties. The book wasn't very good, it's okay. Um, but there's this one footnote in the book where he mentions tarot and it was like the first time I'd ever like really read him a, a mention of tarot in any book. And he was like, you know, like, um, the tarot, the 22 major arcana are based on like these universal archetypes. And I was like, what? Like major arcana, what is that? And I was just very intrigued. I was like, I don't know what these words mean, but I like it. <laughs> I like it. I want to know more. And I kind of filed it away in the back of my mind. Um, another year goes by COVID hits. Um, and when COVID hits, it was like this light bulb moment where I realized like, okay, now is my, now is my chance to leave. I'm going to leave because I'm either because of this history shaking moment that we're experiencing, I'm either committing to this now forever, or I use this crisis as an opportunity to hit the reset button. Mm. And that's what I did. <laughs> so wow. I decided, I decided to leave. Um, and when I left, I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that this form of prayer wasn't working for me anymore. And I still wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know what I wanted to write. Um, so then I left and that was kind of a really dark moment. That was early 2020. Mm. And then like just a few weeks after I left, I bought my first tarot deck. That was April, 2020. And just like started studying and like started playing with the cards. And like almost like a week after I got them, I got this idea that I can use these cards as writing prompts. You know, like you can pull a card and like see what ideas come to you and start writing on them. So that's what I started doing. I started um, 
I would pull a card a day and I'd write a little poem about the card. And they weren't really like about the card, but they were sort of like whatever ideas came to my mind based on seeing the card. Wow. So I started doing that. And before long, I had you know, written poems about most of the cards. And then I started exploring like the occult history and esoteric history, esoteric history behind the cards. Uh, I spent a lot of time looking at you know, other readers on YouTube and Instagram, seeing how they approach the cards. And for long, within like a year, you know, it began making sense to me and I could do like little readings for myself and for friends. Um, and just start growing, growing that way. And then I started going to the flea market. There was a flea market near me where I live in New Jersey. And, um, you know, for like 10 bucks a day, you can, you can rent a table basically. <laughs> See your cat. She knows you like cats. She came to visit. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So for like 10 bucks a day, you just rent a table. And then I would, you know, just put up a sign say tarot readings and I charge like five bucks for a reading. And I would do like, sometimes like 30, 40 readings in a day. Wow. And um, some of them, yeah, were were bad, and some of them were good, and <laughs> I got got better that way. And then just uh, started building up Instagram, my Instagram more and more by writing about each card each day, forcing myself to basically forcing myself to think about a card a day, you know, deeply, and how I can communicate about it, and what types of things it might be saying to people of our time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and through doing that, it's built up a repertoire in my mind of what kinds of associations these cards have, the way the ways they speak to people or don't speak to people anymore. And um, yeah, I've just been going from there, studying more and getting more practice. Yeah. I still consider, still consider myself a learner. And um, it's the kind of thing you got to keep, got to keep practicing and learning and studying and, and using to get better. Yeah. It's really interesting to me also that your quest for spirituality and your connection to religion did ultimately lead you to tarot through that book, you know, like you were reading a book on archetypes of the Bible, right? And then yeah, there was another thing. So, so shortly after I started really getting into tarot, it was still in the aftermath of leaving seminary. And I was still like, I'd still really and part of me still wanted to be a priest, you know, I still wanted to take on that spiritual role. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I, I had learned so much during my time there. It felt like a waste just to leave it all behind, you know? Mm -hmm. I definitely think some of the personal skills of how to talk to people about spiritual matters, I carried over directly into my tarot reading. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and there was a comforting sense that like, okay, I'm still, I'm still doing this but in a different way, you know, I left behind the parts I didn't like, but took the good parts and then found a new way to give this priestly service to people of you know mm. my generation and of today in a way that speaks to them more than the church does. Mm. So yeah, I feel like it, I found a way to make it work for me that was better. And that is better suited to me and more meaningful to people today. And that was my complaint, my problem with where I was before was that this isn't speaking to people today. I'm not even sure if it's good for people today. <laughs> you know, um, it's not suiting me very well. And again, when I left seminary, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I ended up finding it and finding what I wanted really mm -hmm. in a way exactly. that suits me. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love how 
how it led you to where you were meaning to go. And you also, as you were mentioning, you get to use the tools that you were learning in, in school to apply that to your work with tarot. And I think that that's kind of what I was feeling into earlier when I was talking about how I really enjoy getting readings from you, because I feel like it's also a coaching experience. (laughs) It's not just like getting tarot. I feel very, um, supported. And I was going to ask you if you felt that some of those skills you learned through, um, through school, if you felt like that, that, yeah, definitely definitely is. Yeah. So did Um, you learn how to counsel people? And like, was that part of it? Not formally, but there were a lot of models for that, I guess that I was exposed to. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I learned to, I mean, I guess to be more sensitive is the best way to put it, uh, but yeah. like to, um, I guess, yeah, I learned to, one of the things I find, I'm sure other people know this too, is in the spiritual community, like online, in Instagram, but even more on Twitter, it's probably worse. Instagram too is like people are very like opinionated. They're like, this is this is the way it is, you know, or whatever it is they believe and like kind of push their views. Dogmatic. Yeah, they're dog they're dogmatic in various ways. Um ironically it was through seminary I learned not to be that way. <laughs> wow. I learned not to be that way because I saw other people who were like that. Yeah. And I saw how obnoxious and repulsive it is. Mm-hmm. And um I guess, you know, when I was Catholic and I really believe that there's a lot of emphasis on not saying or doing anything, which we would say like to scandalize anybody, like not saying or doing anything that would um, create offense in someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of learned how to temper my expressions and my speech that way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, like I carried that, I carried that over and then I see, it's very easy to see people who are, um, I guess haven't been exposed to that. So they're very opinionated and very um, exclusive in their views. I, mean, I don't think they even mean to be, but they come across that way, probably because they haven't learned to see it from the other side and how, <laughs> how obnoxious and offensive it can be. Mm-hmm. Evie's being obnoxious right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I definitely hear you. And I think that we have similar similar paths in a sense, um, because I went to school for social work and I think that it really helped, um, as you were mentioning, not being dogmatic, not being judgmental, not staying like so strongly hooked to my ideas of what are right, what is right and wrong, you know, having a much more broad perspective and allowing there to be room for multiple different realities. And it sounds like through your experience, you were exposed to people who, took a very hard stance and saw things like in a straight, rigid way. And it, you kind of were like, oh, wow, I want to be a little bit more open and malleable to other people's opinions and perspectives. And so it helped you again. I, the word humility keeps on coming to mind. Um, I I think just like an openness and a humility for other people's opinions and viewpoints. Yeah. Humility is key. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Humility and, in the way you express yourself, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially when we are <clears throat> working in one of these fields of healing and of guidance, because if 
in my opinion, I feel like if we're not assuming a role of humility, it kind of becomes more of a, it could become a slippery slope with like power and control, which we actually see a lot in religion and different spiritual organized groups. You know, when, when people place a lot of faith in you and what you're sharing and what you're saying, it could easily, that, that power could easily be misused. And so I think that humility is a great way to ensure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. There's a way to phrase things, which leaves it open. You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I kind of leave it yeah. so that the person I'm reading for kind of make their own, can take it and go with it in their own minds where they need to go, you know? And that doesn't mean I don't have particular beliefs or that anybody expressing themselves this way doesn't have particular beliefs. It's just that when you express yourself, you do it in such a way that leaves openness for the other person. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It's hard, to, it's hard to give an example, but it's more of um, a frame of mind that you go into. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so we were talking about this a little bit in the beginning. Um, tarot, I think that for the people who are listening to this podcast, I'm sure everyone for the most part is very familiar with astrology and tarot and take it really seriously and find a lot of value in it. And through my experience as an astrologer, there are certain groups where I can walk into a room and be like, I'm an astrologer and people will react and respond in a different way, you know, like super accepting and excited and like interested. And then there are other groups of people <laughs> where I walk in and I say, I'm an astrologer and people look at me like I'm a nut job <laughs> and they're like, how do you even make money as an astrologer? And I'm like, well, so I I'm interested for you as a tarot reader, um, who really takes the craft seriously. And I feel like has so much reverence for the craft. How do you explain what you do to the larger collective? That's a good question. It really depends on who you're talking to. Um, it's funny. My parents told me a story, I guess a few months ago, they were walking and they saw one of my parents' neighbors who has known me for a long time. And uh, his, his guy, Paul, he was like, oh, what's Chris doing now? And my parents are like, well, actually, he's a terror reader. <laughs> they said he was like, just looked at them like he was shocked, like his jaw dropped. And then he just backed away. <laughs> like, he didn't say anything. He just like looked like flabbergasted and backed away slowly. Like he was terrified of us. <laughs> gotta like, sneak away. Seven yeah. of swords. Just gotta. <laughs> like he couldn't believe it. And then I don't know what that reaction meant if he was horrified or just like really didn't know what to say. I don't know. Some people think it's witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. Like some people for real, yeah, for real will actually think that you are a heathen. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> so I, feel like, I feel like I was surprised by that with this person because you see more of that online. Like you get the comments from people who are like, Oh, this is the devil's work, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, whatever. But I guess to hear from somebody I know, even though I don't know if that's what he was thinking, like he just seemed, he just backed away, <laughs> whatever that means. But um, to hear from somebody you've known a long time sounds more surprising, you know? Um, but yeah, it depends on who I'm talking to. When I first got into tarot, like I was telling you about that book I found, um, the way that guy presented it in that book was that he was not a believer in divination. He was saying this is a psychological tool like like a rorschach test you know like you have these these images and they connect to 
you know, deeply embedded ideas in our minds in a way which is resonant. And there is, you know, a new school looking at tarot, which is along the same lines where it's mostly psychological. Mm-hmm. And you know, we use, and, you know, therapists, they, they use tarot too. You can use, you know, the images and the readings to spark associations in the minds and to get somebody talking about themselves and to explore the unconscious, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of a new approach to tarot, which has come in. But yeah. the traditional view, the traditional use of cards as divination is part of the, the larger phenomenon of divination, which goes back to the beginnings of human history, right? Mm-hmm. It's found in every culture. Um, as far as far back as we can find it, you know, people would originally use stones for divination. Um, stones... Um, plants. That's so interesting. Signs in the sky, and eventually astrology, of course. Um, there's dream divination, people interpreting their dreams, um, the flights of birds, mm. um, reading tea leaves, palmistry, oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so there's many forms of divination. And then, you know, tarot arose in the Renaissance, and shortly thereafter, people were using cards for divination. And the view of divination is that this is some kind of communication from a god or spirit that mm. you're receiving through this medium of whatever it is, cards, dice, the stars, whatever. Um, yeah. It's like there's some other spiritual entity on the other side of this telephone, which mm. is giving you a message, right? And that might be like an ancestor, a ghost, or it might be like the Holy Spirit or some lesser deity, you know? It, views differ, but the the consistent view was that there was some kind of spirit communication going on, right? Wow. So this is, it isn't simply psychological. Um, mm-hmm. So when I first got into tarot, I kind of struggled with that, even though it was coming from Catholic seminary. I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I like the psychological view more. But then when I started going to the flea market and doing those readings, like I said earlier, more and more I would see things that were just weird. Yeah. <laughs> that I couldn't explain. Yeah. As being, as being just, you know, part of the, my imagination or part of the suggestive ideas of my mind. Um, like weird, really weird coincidences would happen of the way the cards come out. Um, I started seeing what you know, people call stalker cards, cards that come up again and again for different people. And there are also stalker cards that stalk readers. Like they're like, you, if you sit down to read for a day, you'll see the same card come out again and again that same day for different people. Um, I call those, MV, I call those MV, MVPs. Um, so again, you start seeing more and more things like, well, this, this couldn't come from my mind because there's no way I can know this. I can't imagine how I could, you know, how I could know this or how I could predict this. Um, so then I started to become more open to the view, like, well, maybe there is some kind of spirit communication. I don't know what it is. Um, and then when I really got going with my practice, you know, I started working in, before I ever do a serious reading, I do a, a little prayer, a little ritual, you know, and I've always done that really really since the beginning even wow when I first started. but it's never really ch- it's it's changed a little but it's never i never i would never like do a read a serious reading without doing some sort of little prayer you know what i mean yeah wow so i always think that um assume i guess really that i'm connecting to well for me it's you know the divine mother that's who i usually pray to um but i always assume i'm, pre- I'm connecting to some sort of spiritual power beyond myself when I'm doing this reading. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, I couldn't really imagine getting away from that, you know? 
Yeah. I can't explain it. And it's hard to break down how it works, you know, and nobody can explain it, but that's been my practice. And that's my belief. If I'm being honest, you know, that's, that's how it is. It is some sort of, some sort of interchange between you and something beyond you through the medium of these cards. And sometimes it comes through very clearly, sometimes a little less clearly. Um, but it's always there if you're consciously bringing it in, you know, yeah, like some sort of prayer or ritual, like lighting a candle at least or something, you know. Um, Interesting. And do I tell people? No, I don't usually tell people that. I, Like I said, if I were to meet somebody and they ask what I do, I, I just tell them I read tarot. And um, I would say like, people come to me with questions and I read them the cards and I try to give them some clarity. And most people are like, oh, that's cool. Okay. And that's enough for them. Yeah. Most people don't know enough to ask those questions. Like, well, like, are you talking to spirits? Like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you, you have that. a ceremony that you do? Do you summon your guides? <laughs> but I mean, if I feel like they can handle it and they ask me that, yeah, I'll tell them what I just told you. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it's just that- like a priestly, the priestly type thing. And I pray and I, that's amazing. I try to read the cards as best I can. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I'm so grateful that you shared that. And I was really interested. I know that, that was something we had talked about um, discussing. And I I think that it's such a powerful practice to clear your intuition and to clear your energy and also leave that space for support from guides, universe, Holy Spirit, Divine Mother, you know, whatever it may be for the individual. Um, but it's just, it's so fascinating hearing you speak. And I suppose it's something that priests do as well, which I was previously ignorant to, but um, in the Vedic tradition, before offering readings or doing ceremonies, you usually write a can, excuse me, light a candle, then recite prayers or do some type of mantra to clear the space. And so it just sounds, it's so resonant with the lineage that I'm familiar with. And it just feels so past life for you that it's something that came so naturally. And it's like, you just knew to do it. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me how we uh, come back to our practices. Yeah. And this, so when I was in seminary, I was um, a, a sacristan. So sacristan is the guy who kind of prepares everything before the service, like the candles and the incense. So I love doing that, you know, yeah. <laughs> getting ready and everything. So it just it becomes, it's very um, not intuitive, very ingrained that before you do anything like this, you light a candle, you know, mm-hmm. the candle starts the process. Wow. You know, and then, um, like, it, I mean, it's just really short. It's like three, it takes three minutes, two minutes for me, you know, just say a quick with candle, like incense maybe, um, and take a second just to clear your mind. It's not like a full meditation, but take a moment to pause and clear your mind and say a little prayer. And then because I'm usually reading for another person um, as part of that, <clears throat> I try to keep the person's image in my mind, like their face and their name. So usually when people reach out for me to readings, I ask for their their name and their face. Sometimes there's zodiac sign too. Um, sometimes Instagram, you can't always see their face because people have weird profiles. Um, so I usually ask for their name and their face. And then when I have that moment where I sit down and pray, I kind of hold their name and their face in my mind and like just give it a moment to know like, okay, it's, it's this person I'm reading for. And this is sort of what, they, what they're looking for, what they want. And then with that in mind, I go into shuffling. Wow. And then the shuffling process, that's a whole other thing. People don't talk about the shuffling. <laughs> um, so I shuffle for, you know, like the riffle shuffle for 
at least three or four times. Again, holding their name and their question or whatever their concern is in my mind, asking the Divine Mother for guidance as I'm doing the shuffling. And then the trick is you have to wait. I guess different readers have different techniques. Some readers just use, you know, what's called jumper cards, which they do the overhand shuffling. And then if you're doing that vigorously enough, a card will fly out sometimes, you know. And so some, some readers, they use that and they just wait for a card to fly out. And then that's one of the cards they use in the reading. Mm. I don't do that. I do the riffle shuffle and cards don't fly out. So readers who use that method, they usually will do it a few times and then they have to use some method to know when to stop, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, I'll, I'll look again, I'm thinking about the person and their question, right? And then as I'm riffle shuffling, I'll take a peek at the bottom card. Mm-hmm. And when I see a card in the bottom, which for some reason just, again, it's totally intuitive, some reason either speaks to the person I'm rooting for or somehow speaks to their question, I think, okay, maybe that's time to stop. So I'll put the deck down and then I pull out my pendulum. So I have a pendulum that I use and then um, mm-hmm. I hold the pendulum over the deck. And if it's time to stop shuffling, you know, it'll swing one way. And if it's like shuffle a little more, it'll swing another way. Whoa. So it was a shuffle a little more, right? It's resumed the process like it was before and then find another place to stop. But usually when I have that sense, usually the pendulum, like seven times out of 10, the pendulum's like, yeah, it's time to stop. Um, hmm. And that's it. And then I don't, don't cut the deck. It's done. That's the deck. And I just start dealing off the top into whatever spread I'm using. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's really extensive. I mean, you, you invest a lot of time into the experience. Yes, there's a lot of a lot that goes into it before you start pulling cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, not not all tarot readers are like that, you know. And so I think that um, I think that it's just like a perhaps a unique feature for you or a few people who do have a, a ceremony before p- pulling the spread. Um, I, I was curious to ask though, and I know that you mentioned that you're not necessarily. Uh, sure how it works, but I just want to mention it because I know that so many people are going to resonate with this and just how freaking bizarre it is. Um, but there have been so many times where I've been pulling for myself and I pull certain cards and then I'm like, Chris, I need help. And then you'll pull for me and you'll, (laughs) and, and you'll pull like, you know, five of the same cards that I pulled. And it's like there out of the entire deck, there's no way that that's a coincidence. There's no way that's a coincidence. Well, that's an example of what I mean by saying it's it's not just psychological. No. There's no way I can know what cards you were pulling. No. I didn't, I didn't even know you were pulling cards. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what they were and didn't even think about that. It didn't even cross my mind one way or another. And you're like, oh, yeah, I pulled these same cards. I'm, well, <laughs> How does it work, Chris? I need I answers. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm so like, because, okay. I've, I've got to be honest, like you, you were saying that like in the beginning, you approach things from a more like rational, uh, scientific, like objective way. Like I am, I'm, I'm very similar. I really like things to have some sort of rational, logical, scientific reason. And in astrology, Jyotish, it literally means the science of light. So as far as I'm concerned, when I'm doing astrology, it, it's a scientific method. And then yes, it's inherently spiritual. And so there is a lot of intuition and spiritual components and, you know, it's, it's mathematical tarot. When I first started doing tarot, I was like, okay, it's kind of like a coincidence. Like, okay. And then I started pulling like the same cards over and over again. I was like, this is bizarre. I don't know how this is happening. 
And so over time, of course, I was like, okay, there's definitely something to tarot. I think it can be used for X, Y, and Z. And then it got to the point where I was seeing that other people were pulling the same cards. And again, this is like over years of, of having experience with tarot and it just completely blew my mind. And I, I think that it's something that there, there is absolutely something to it. It's something that cannot be explained. I think that it is, it's like lending proof to guides, spirits, universal energy, divine mother, um, and people just will not understand unless they have experience with tarot. And I've spoken to people before where I'm like, oh, I do astrology and I like to pull tarot. And, and these are some things that I do. And they're like, oh, well, you know, with tarot, it's, it's coincidence. And it's like this. And then when you actually start reading for them or pulling cards and they start seeing the synchronicities and the consistency, then they can also um, actually see firsthand how it can work. Um, but again, it's like, if, if they don't have the opportunity to see it firsthand, there are people out there who think that it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. People who think that it's rubbish or just coincidental and it, it isn't. And so it's just like, how do you explain this to people who don't have the firsthand experience with tarot? Does that make sense? I feel like I just went on a long, like meandering. Totally. No, that's, one of the, that's the same experience <laughs> I had. So the flea market, I remember giving this one reading to this girl. Um, she sat down and she's like, you know, I'm an, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in this. But she was like, oh, what the hell is five bucks? It might be fun. Yeah. And I gave her a reading and then she, at the end, she was freaked out. Like, oh, wow, it's like, yeah. that's really accurate. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when she went away and I was like, I was like, you know, I, I, I just said, keep your mind open. It's a big universe out there. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, wow. That's and then nice there's another time. Experience. This happened a couple of times, but I remember, um, like I would pull a card for somebody and it'd be like the sun, you know, and I would like point to the sunflowers that are in that card, you know, as sunflowers in the sun card. And then the person would be like, dude. And then they roll up their sleeve and they have a tattoo of a sunflower, like on their arm or like another tattoo of like the tarot card itself in a place I couldn't see and didn't know it was there, but it would come out in the reading for them. So it was, it was stuff like that. I was like, what's going on? It's weird. <laughs> no, it's super, super odd. And it, it happened. Um, like for me, one of my friends, someone was moving and she was like pulling tarot cards about how the move was going to go. And she's like, it's three of pentacles. I don't really understand. And I was like, oh, he's going to bring friends. I was like, he's going to bring friends to help him move. And then sure enough, he like brought friends to help him move. Like it can be so literal in nature. It's just so odd. But I did want to ask you this. Do you feel that the poles are set in stone or do you feel that they're subject to circumstantial changes because I have noticed that the cards that I get can be different depending on, um, how circumstances evolve, what's happening moment to moment. So do you think that pools are generally set in stone or do you think that they can change depending on free will throughout time? So there's two things. So one thing is, um, so one another way to possibly explain what we're describing is not so much spirits but energy like i said before that the cards each card has a kind of energy to it you know so you could think of it as it's not like some spirit there picking the cards for you it's like given the energy of the situation certain cards gravitate towards the reading that makes more sense totally and that's that and that would explain why it's not always exactly the same and also um there's a lot of overlap between the cards you know like for example, nine of swords and ten of swords. 
they're not the same car, not the same meaning, but there's a lot of overlap. Like they're very, the energy is similar, right? Yes. So what might happen, what I've seen happen is that, you know, you'll do a reading for somebody and maybe in their reading, they got the ten of swords, but in your reading, you got the nine of swords. So it's not the exact same card coming out, but it's like the similar energy is kind of gravitating towards the reading. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And sometimes it will, it will shift and like you do the same reading for somebody nine months later and um, it's all different cards, but the, the cards that tended to represent them still come out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so one way to think of it is the cards work based on energies and some cards share an energy. So you might not get the exact same cards, but similar cards between different people and different readings. Also, as far as um, the question of like fates, that's sort of like a different question. Like you're asking not so much about the cards, but about how like fate or events work. Yeah. Is it fixed? Yeah. Is it predetermined or can it change? Yeah. My view is, I like to think of it as like a highway, like, um, we're on a highway and when you're on the highway, you're kind of stuck on it, you know, but then there are certain points where you can change and get off. There are certain exits that come up. Wow. And sometimes in our life, we're reaching that point where there's a whole bunch of exits that we can take. Yeah. And there's other points in your life, like the next exit's not for like hundred miles. Like you're stuck on this road and that's how it's going to be. And if you're on, if you're at one of those points where you're on that road, um, <clears throat> then it is fixed sort of. Like the reading you'll get for the next six months, it's like, this is how it's going to be. This is more or less how it will play out. But sometimes you're at one of those points where there's a lot of exits and things are very chaotic and up in the air. And then you might get a whole bunch of different readings to ensure contradictory and change day to day. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I think it's really helpful. I think it's really helpful to think about it that way. And I really like what you said also about the different energies. And I mean, I could really go far out with this, but we know, oh my gosh, she never hangs out this much. She knows that you like cats. Like she's never around this much. Um, she usually goes away when I'm like, okay, I'm working. I'll feed you in a second. I know what you want, but, um, I, you know, we, we know that different energies have different frequencies and vibrations. And I think it's so fascinating, this concept of when we ourselves are emitting certain frequencies or vibrations that we attract ourselves to certain cards. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just such a fascinating way to think about it. And it helps me also rationalize my own experiences with it because I can pull for myself in the morning, you know, and, and get certain cards. And then by the end of the day, I've had certain experiences. I've totally changed the way that I'm perceiving things and feeling about things. And then I, I pull different cards. It's like, I'm emitting different frequencies and I'm drawing different cards out. But I think that this also goes back to, to what we were mentioning earlier, the importance of clarifying and attuning, um, making sure that you're clear before pulling also just to make sure that you get as accurate of a reading. Yeah. That's why I do that. Yeah. That's why I'm very focused yeah. on making it clear who I'm reading for and, and what the situation is. Cause it's not just your energy. It's the energy of your situation. Yeah. You know, and yes. the people who are involved in this situation. Wow. So that's, that's what's tricky about reading the cards is 
you might read, you get some cards for somebody in their situation and it's hard to tell, is this card describing them or is it describing somebody else who is relevant to the situation? Well, I might not know is there, you know what I mean? So then I might, I might misread the card as applying to the person when it really applies to this third party who I'm not aware of, but maybe they are, you know what I mean? Wow. That's why it's hard to read the cards and why it's possible to get it wrong. Even if the cards are right, the cards are picking up on the energy and the situation, but they don't come with a little tag saying, I'm about this person, you know, or I'm, I'm about that person. You guys got to kind of guess and feel it out based on what you know. That's why the more you, more context you have, the more you know going into the reading, the more information you can get from the reading. You know, if I know, if I know nothing about this person, um, nothing about what's going on with them, I might get it right, but it might be hard if there's a lot of factors involved and a lot of people involved because their cards will show up which are attached to the energies of those people or the situations, but sorting it out will be difficult, which is why spreads help because spreads give you a little structure, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It's super tricky. And I remember you mentioning on Patreon, obviously I am subscribed to patreon.com slash tarot But you were talking about how, to how you forget your readings, how it's like when you open yourself so much to different clients, it's like you are attuning yourself not only to their energy, but to the energy of people that they may be asking about or referring to and how for you, it's such an important part of your practice to clear that energy through so that you're not absorbing it all. And that it's best if you just kind of like, you know, kind of wipe your hands. So we talked about your, um, initiation into the reading, but how do you finish? Like, do you have a specific ceremony where you kind of like clear yourself and your energetic field or what's that like? You know, I used to, I don't anymore. I should probably go back to it. <laughs> but what I used to do was, um, one good thing to do is child's pose. There's mm-hmm. child's pose that kind of grounds you. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing is to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. I learned from another this woman is a tarot reader. Um, she would always say, you, you always wash your hands with salt. There's a while I would do that. Um, I've stopped doing that. And mm. I, feel, I feel okay for the most part. Um, maybe I am getting a little burned out. So this is another thing that happens to tarot readers who read professionally, who read a lot, is they get burned out really easily. And I think it's because of this energetic exchange that what happens is they tune into this other person's energy or the energy of the person they're reading for in the situation and then like a little bit of the energy kind of stays with them. Yeah. And it kind of drains them. You know, yeah. I get very drained. Um, and I have had moments where like, I just feel like drained. Like, um, you know, not like, and I still feel like myself. I'm just kind of like, uh, like tired and like, you know, don't want to do this. And maybe that's an effect of doing so many readings. Um, so the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> there, it, is, it is a real trick. Some people deal with it better than others, I think depending on their own personal makeup, you know? Um, but I think mostly it's just taking good care of yourself, like getting good sleep, eating good food, you know, whole foods, eight hours of sleep a day, um, you know, not not drinking too much or anything like that. And, and the other thing is just trying to leave the reading alone once it's over, you know? Like I said in that post that one of the blessings and I've heard from other people this happens to them too, is that once the reading is over and a few hours have gone by, it's like, you forget about it. 
it's like you, you kind of remember you did the reading, but a lot of the details are just kind of out of your mind. And um, sometimes that happens more easily, but you definitely want to resist any temptation that might come to you to keep ruminating on the reading because you could always you can always think about it more. You know, you can always be like, oh, maybe the cards actually meant this, or like I should have said this, or like what if this? You know, they can keep running through your mind all the different possibilities. And if you do that, that's going to drain you more. So once it's done and the other person is satisfied, you got to just leave it alone and move on. That's my best advice. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. And I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know that we're almost at the hour. I just have one. Well, I mean, I don't know. I have like 40 other questions, but I'm going to ask you one more question. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel as we were talking earlier about uh, divination and how it's worked throughout time. Do you feel that we are in constant communication with the universe? Do you think that signs and symbols, because tarot, it's so symbol based signs and symbols, you know, and earlier you were mentioning that you can also read tea leaves or follow bird patterns, or, you know, do you think that there are more messages coming through to us on a regular basis than we're most likely aware of? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I go back and forth. Um, sometimes I'm like, yes, there's, you know, <laughs> each of us have angels or ancestors or whatever around us and they're trying to communicate to us in different ways. And some of us just aren't paying attention. Um, but mostly I think you, you get what you need, you know? It's like when you need the message, the message will be there and you'll get it. And if you didn't get it, maybe you didn't need it. You know what I mean? Interesting. Um, That's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it seems weird. It's like, you just get what you need. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't sound weird at all because I'm actually thinking about a very specific situation that I've had where it, messages come through so strongly during moments of intensity for me specifically. And, um, I went through this difficult experience recently that I'm sure I had you pull probably like 18 times over, but I, had this experience. And all of a sudden I started having all of these animal symbols. I mean, like I, and people have probably, some listeners have probably heard me tell this story before. So I apologize for the redundancy potentially, but there was one day I live in the middle of Austin, you know, it's the city. I walk outside and there is a Fox standing on the sidewalk, looking at me. It turns around and starts walking away and then it stops and turns back. And it's like, are you following me? Like it, it was waiting for me. Yeah. And, and it's like, what? And then I saw an owl, a baby owl, like two days later, I saw all these animal symbols within like a week. I saw a coyote also. And it was during a super intense period. And then after the intensity kind of wore off, I, I stopped having like bizarre animals come visit me. And so I really like what you're saying, how it's kind of like messages come through for us when we really need them. And if we catch them, they're meant for us. Um, I am under, I mean, I kind of go back and forth, but I do believe that there are often symbols occurring that we can attune ourselves to personally. Um, but again, I think that that's just kind of like, it just depends on, on what you believe and how you move through the world and what you need. Yeah. Like I said, the ancients, a common way of divination was observing birds and what birds were doing. Mm -hmm. I still feel like I can see why, because birds are really tuned in to something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like birds who convey messages. And remember I told you before that um, 
about a week after I bought my first deck, I had that idea to start writing poems based on the cards. Yeah. The same day I had that idea, I was walking through the woods and I found a hawk feather. It's like Whoa. this huge, huge hawk feather. One of those ones that you see like sold in stores, you know, but it was like laying on the ground and I still have it. I still have it in my room. Um, that was a while ago. I've kept it. But now looking back, I'm like, wow, the, almost the second I had that idea, I found that feather. You know, like, was that a sign? And um, there's another story. Um, this happened about 10 years ago now. Um, my sister had a miscarriage. Um, but the day that happened before my mother had heard about it, uh, we had a cat, a tabby cat who we let wheel outside. And my mom opened the door and the cat had killed the cardinal and left it on the doorstep. Wow. My mom said when she saw that, she knew something bad had happened. Wow. I just got goosebumps all over my body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But stuff like that happens to people a lot, I feel like. And the same thing with you and the fox, you know? Yeah. Foxes are a big thing for me, too. I love foxes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was amazed. Um, but actually, I forgot the, the event that spurred all of it was my dog killing a pigeon in the backyard. And then all these other animal messages came through. But during that moment of intensity, the animal symbol that spurred it all was my dog getting this. Actually, it was a dove. That's what the, I, I, I like rushed it to the wildlife refuge and then it died on the way there. It was super sad, but I got there and I was like this pigeon. They were like, it's actually a dove. And I was like, something bad's about to happen <laughs> and something bad did happen. So it's interesting that you say that birds carry that significance. Um, and I'm so sorry to hear about that experience. It sounds, it sounds really challenging for you and your family. It sounds like your mother is also very attuned to though. Yeah. Yeah. Is she, is she proud of your occultism? Um, I think so. At first, when I first started explaining to her and with my parents that I was getting into this, they were very skeptical. They were like, oh, I don't know. It's weird. And at first I tried to explain to them through the psychological model, which I was talking about earlier. And they're like, okay. And gradually over time, they've become more and more accepting of it, I guess, and more open to different possibilities. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And I, again, I could just keep you all day. So many questions. Maybe we'll do it again, but where can people find you? No exegete. So, so, exegete. That's the, so, going, so going to seminary when um, I was in seminary, my favorite study was, it's called exegesis. Oh, okay. Exegesis is when you study the scriptures really closely and you kind of break it apart and analyze it so as to get more meaning out of it, you know? That's called exegesis. Interesting. And someone who does exegesis is called an exegete. That's so cool. So then when I start getting into tarot, I'm like, I'll call myself tarot exegete. And it's basically what I do. I look at the cards very closely and kind of analyze it, break down the symbolism, and then after breaking down the symbolism, you kind of put it back together into a meaning which is relevant to people. Awesome. And it's the same process people do, preachers do a scripture. They take a passage of scripture and then they, that's how they preach on it. You know, they kind of break down different components of what's going on, who's involved, what's being said, and then use that to deliver a message. So I call myself Tarot Exegete because it's what I do with Tarot. <clears throat> and I guess I said, I said this on my Patreon, like, I really feel tarot is better than scripture. <laughs> I feel like it has more, not only because it lends itself to the same process as Jesus that I'm describing, it works really well for that, but also it has so many more possibilities in it, you know, because you're looking at pictures and the pictures can lend themselves to so many um, archetypes and interpretations that you have 
there's like a wide field, you know, a wide field to plow out there and very few people have been doing it. So there's a lot to explore. And like I said, I feel like it's more relevant to people today. So that's why it's Tarot Exegete and that's my name on Instagram. Awesome. So it's, so it's all one word, Tarot, and then Exegete, E-X-E-G-E-T. Yeah. So one word. Awesome. And on Patreon, it's the same name, but you can find my Patreon through my Instagram. Yeah. And I'll make sure and link everything in the description. So if people are curious, they can just um, look at the show notes and I'll have everything linked there. And then also, even if you just go to my Instagram account and type in tarot, Chris will come up. Um, if you look at my following list, of course, but this has been really wonderful. So profound and interesting. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and hopefully we'll hear from you soon. Thanks for having me, Christine. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for listening until the end of this podcast. I hope that you found it interesting, informative, and maybe even inspiring. If you don't have tarot or oracle cards yet, highly recommend. If you're looking for a very last minute Christmas gift, giving the gift of tarot or oracle is always an amazing idea. And it's such an incredible way to introduce yourself into your intuition. You know, I think that utilizing Oracle cards and tarot is an amazing way to start playing with your own intuition and inner knowing. So please do follow Chris at tarot exegete on Instagram. If you don't know how to spell that, look in the descriptions and his Patreon is amazing. Patreon.com slash tarot exegete. If you are looking for more information on me or astrology now, you can go to my website, innerknowing.yoga. You can calculate your birth chart there, sign up for Patreon, book a reading. And if you're looking for a quick and easy way to help me and my small business, leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts is always such an easy and wonderful way to help. It melts my heart to read the reviews. Thank you all so much for being so generous. So again, this is Astrology Now podcast. I will see you all next week for the 2022 to wrap up. Thank you so much.